0: This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol
1: Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stunovec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and
0: finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors.
1: Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries.
0: You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com.
1: You can also listen to our radio show at
0: 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with the Visor uh, with the visor. with the virus, um, Pfizer and BioNTech, they do expect to deliver more vaccines to the European Union this quarter than currently targeted. We're seeing, you know, some things go on when it comes to different vaccines and getting them rolled out. Rolled out. Denmark becoming the first EU country to drop AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca's vaccine, so it's kind of a back and forth here.
1: Yeah, and as far as those numbers, we repeat them each and every day, and they yeah. change globally. Cases have surpassed 137 million, deaths exceeding 2.96 million, but vaccines continue continuing to tick up more than 814 million shots given worldwide
0: you and I each get one I know well my second one at the end of the week oh
1: I'm so glad to hear
0: Friday Friday hey let's get our daily check on COVID and the vaccine rollout Uh, great to have back with us Alyssa Rapp she's CEO of the healthcare solutions company surgical Solutions. she's back with us on the phone from Deerfield Illinois Alyssa nice to have you here with Tim and me again how are you Pleasure to be in touch with you both again. And I too am one shot in different from the last time we spoke. It feels different, right? (laughs) Doesn't it it feel different? different. Totally. Well, okay. So tell us what you're hearing, especially with, uh, your healthcare workers. Um, I am curious because of the J and J vaccine, there's already a fair Mm -hmm. amount of vaccine hesitancy out there. How does this make that potentially worse?
2: The, there's no question it makes it worse, and I, I agree with Nate Silver of five thirty eight Fame that the statistician that 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 he's worried that the hesitancy will get more people killed than actually getting the vaccine because six out of cases out of seven million is by no means statistically significant. As terrible as it is that anyone had an adverse reaction, but I, I'm I am concerned because J and J, the one and done, was such an, a convenient thing to do and such a good thing to do uh, for many healthcare workers and others alike. And college so I students, concerned. I know
0: a lot of college kids who that's how totally. they got it. Yeah well also for the people who are the elderly who have potentially
2: more depressed immune systems it was not necessarily as uh rough or lethal so it's really unfortunate obviously i i don't know if i agree with the decision to pull it Mm. nor did nate silver it is what it is it does increase hesitancy the only silver lining in spite of that is that there's been such improvement on distribution that i've talked about with you all before and how challenging it's been and finally we're seeing more vaccination appointments at Walgreens and CVS and Sam's Clubs, et cetera, just like we had uh, forecasted that would be a great solve. And so at least there's there are more places to get vaccines if and when you are ready, more being produced. So even if it's limited now to temporarily exclude J&J, at least there are more places you can get it if you want.
1: Is there any silver lining that, that, that we can look at in the sense that this is not just a story about J&J, but it's also a story about Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna? given that so many of those shots have been given and there haven't been those reports of those serious adverse reactions?
2: And, and Tim, there, and 95% efficacy once they're administered. Yeah. So I'd take it one step further and say these are Cadillacs of, of vaccines, and if you can get them, you're incredibly fortunate, go do it. And, uh, and you know, you're already getting almost 80% immunity with the Pfizer shot after shot one, which is a real Big deal. To your point, it feels good to be vaccinated. It feels good to be freer. <laughs> so I do think that's really, really a, a positive. Look, what?
1: I got to say, I, I'm just like nodding in agreement here. It was such a relief for me to, you know, close to it was 10 days ago at this point to, to drive out of that CVS parking lot with that Band-Aid on. It felt like a weight had been lifted off. Yeah. You know, because we're in this pandemic and like this is the first step and most important step to get out of it.
0: Well, and I'm going to add yeah. on to that, that this past week that uh, or a week ago, we had a little scare at our home and it was a false yeah. positive. But nonetheless, we mm. went through the quarantining again and my daughter was sequestered right. in her bedroom. But I have to say, my husband was fully vaccinated. I had one. She had none. And we're thinking oh my God, we got this far and we were really stressed out about it and grateful that we ended up all testing negative and everything's fine. But it's a reminder to me, all of a sudden I said in my head, I'm so glad I've got the vaccine. Can't wait to get the second one.
2: Well, and it's really amazing that You know, we are very fortunate still to feel this way. Only 22.3% of the country is fully vaccinated and 36.4% are one shot in Mm -hmm. as of yesterday per the CDC. And so we're still less than 25% of the population, those of us that can jump for joy and feel like we are at least, you know, good to go for this round. So I feel really bullish that everyone who can get it, who's eager to get it, should. And if it's Pfizer, Moderna, it takes two shots versus one for at least a period of time. So be it, do the two and just keep going.
1: Alyssa, how's this playing out when it comes to, to your staff who's on the front lines? Because we have talked to you in the past about vaccine hesitancy among frontline workers, among healthcare workers. But we've also heard uh, about data that show that when more people do get vaccinated within social circles, people start to get on board if they were hesitant in the beginning. How's it playing out for your employees?
2: Um, we have, as you would imagine, it's an astute question. We have had pockets of uh, perseverance and pockets of hesitancy. So some of the hesitancy has not surprisingly dovetailed with states or geographies that are more hesitant in general because of their political persuasions. And, and where we've seen there being a lot of uh, administration of the vaccine, like New York City, people are much less hesitant and much higher uh, vaccination rates, even within our own firm. I think that what's interesting is is that how corona continues to play out is also really geofocused. As yeah. she said, it might be all along. We've got hospitals in Michigan that are already teeming with COVID patients, again, fearing the second Variant is here, and there are other places that are like empty with COVID right now. It just isn't happening right now. Empty might be too strong, but but very low incidence of COVID patients. So well, look, it's very gonna, varied.
0: It's going to be endemic, right? This is this is part of our world. I mean, I was talking to a bunch of CEOs this morning for uh, a Bloomberg event, and they're like, "We need to be ready for the next one because it's coming." Right. I mean, how do you guys right. see? It? What, what are the conversations, Alyssa? You guys are having around that?
2: Conversations are get the first round of vaccinations, preferably with the 95 percent efficacy, because then to tweak around the margins for variants with boosters is much easier than if you're starting from base zero. And if you and then, of course, if you have already gotten vaccinated, even if it is a variant that isn't perfectly uh, protected, maybe it'll be a diminished immunal response. So you just have to hope that this first round of vaccinations is laying the foundation, which I actually genuinely believe it is.
1: Still thinking about J&J here even though this happened, you know, at this point, close to 36 hours ago. Do you think this is the end of the J&J shot, even if it, no. if it, you don't. Okay. So even if it.
2: I don't, I'm not a, i am not I have no insider information on J&J and i am not a board member, but they've administered 6.8 million doses and there were six cases and they were all amongst women who experienced these low levels of blood platelets um, in combination with their vaccination. So do I think there will be necessarily additional screens? and and flags of when you should not necessarily get the J&J shot? Sure. But it's a a blood clot, you know, the cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, CVST, which hopefully they can research further and and help screen better for the patients who would be at risk or tweak the vaccine to not cause that response. But again, I, I do agree with Nate Silver. This is unfortunately statistically insignificant. And, you know, the risk of getting COVID and having a really adverse health reaction is Higher than the risk of having an adverse reaction from J and J, let alone anything else. So,
1: but when I and when I say and I don't mean that it will be permanently pulled or suspended. What what I mean is even if it does get back to the point where the agencies are recommending that it be given in states, is there a chance that that ship sailed when the, the agencies made this decision to make this recommendation, and it ultimately led to people saying, okay, well. No thanks to the to the J and J. Instead, I'm going it, to it, go with the the mRNA shots.
2: It could, it could. And the other reality is, is we also don't know what else is in the in, on the horizon to be for emergency approval. I, I know AstraZeneca and others that have been produced globally are not popular or used here yet, but there will probably still be additional innovations yet that can continue to protect uh, Americans from. COVID-19, this variant or others. So I'm I'm, I'm still going to bet on the technology and the innovators. I'm, it's just how I'm wired and what I believe in. But I do think that, you know, it's, it's a tough position to be in for J&J. I, I don't think it'll be the last we see of their vaccine. But even so, whether it is or isn't, fortunately, we have enough of the others being produced and so much more widespread distribution that really... You know, if people want to be getting these vaccines after, after April 19th, which we obviously hope they do, they should have no challenge doing so. There are some states that are have much higher stats than the national averages I've given you, of 22 percent fully vaccinated. Some states, anyone over 16 has been eligible for a long time, right. less populous states. But there are states that are closer to herd immunity than the country as a whole. So let's all get there as quickly as we can.
0: How important is it all that we all get quickly, globally, get there quickly, globally, uh, Alyssa, in order to really getting ahead of this and beyond it?
2: I think economically it's absolutely crucial, and I think pragmatically it's also really important. We live in a global marketplace and a global um, business enterprise, and the, the, the phony and false yet real, <laughs> I guess that's an oxymoron, walls we've put up in this, in this last year and a half in terms of freedom of movement internationally have real consequences. I haven't been able to get my au pair in from France on a very personal note. I have friends who are mm-hmm. not being able to see loved ones with ease in Europe, Though we need a solve globally for these vaccination schedules so that we can begin that freedom of movement and goods more easily, absolutely, as soon as possible. It'll be best for the global economy. Otherwise, the people negatively impacted and the countries negatively impacted by this are going to get even more acutely you know, impacted economically.
1: Alyssa, we always like to check in with you about the, the health of the business. Speaking of economics, just give us an update about, about where you are with, with Surgical Solutions and also what you're seeing in in the healthcare industry right now as it weathers more than a year of the pandemic?
2: Absolutely. So March twenty twenty one versus March twenty twenty, we were actually we'll, well we'll call it the in March twenty nineteen even more poignantly, we had seen a, a nice material jump in terms of same store growth, meaning elective surgeries were back Op- things were operating at the levels we would want them to be, to be considered have recovered. Now, again, that's not even and that's not everywhere, but that is, by and large, it was a very strong march. Things like the major global freeze in, Te- uh, the major freeze in Texas, the winter storms, the Arctic events, those that did depress uh, elective surgery volumes in January, there seemed to have been a recovery in March, seemed, quote, quote, quote unquote, back to normal. But, you know, hospitals are still going to end up likely losing as a whole 53 billion this year. That's fifty three B in a best case scenario in this country because it's been so expensive to support all of the COVID nineteen pandemic related healthcare needs. And so the good news is the CARES Act is helping keep our healthcare system in the black. The better news is is that you know necessity is the mother of invention and people are truly learning to operate as leanly as they possibly can. Uh, but it's it's gonna be, I think, spotty. We'll have strong months like March like we just did as a company, and I think in healthcare. and then we'll also have probably some dips if and when that those variants take a surge and, and we see that there are places that keep popping up, like yeah. I know Michigan is right now teeming with
0: COVID patients. Yeah, it's been a long year, long 13 months, oh as somebody reminded mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Alyssa. And you have been so kind to always find time for us and, and just keep us up to date on what you and your team are seeing. So thank you for us. Glad you're still doing okay and your team is doing it, uh, doing well as, as well. Alyssa, thank you. Alyssa Rapp, CEO of the Healthcare Solutions Company, Surgical Solutions, once again, joining us from Deerfield, uh, Illinois. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. Well, this week's cover story, the new issue of Bloomberg Business Week magazine, which will be out on newsstands uh, later this week, as well as online and on the Bloomberg Terminal, is about a 23-year-old programmer, Tim, who is keeping American extremists online.
1: Yeah, his name is Nick Lim, and he provides tech support to U.S. networks of white nationalists and conspiracy theorists that have been banned by the likes of Amazon. Joining us now is Joel Weber, editor of Bloomberg Businessweek, joining us on the Access Line from Brooklyn, and William Turton, cybersecurity reporter for Bloomberg News, joining us on the phone from New York City. Uh, Joel, William, this is just a, a fascinating story. It's technology, it's uh, this, It's about free speech, and it's it's also about this this 23-year-old. Uh,
3: Joel, um, who is Nick Lim? So Nick story actually... Yeah, Sorry, we'll let Turton it. go with that one. It, it, no, no, Bill, it's your you did great story. Go, go ahead and take <laughs> it away. Who's Nick Lim?
4: Nick Lim is the CEO and founder of Vonwatech, which is a uh, technology startup that's headquartered in Vancouver, Washington, and it provides uh, kind of a specialized set of web services that are key to keeping websites online. Now, you know, the, the websites that we kind of mentioned here, Nick doesn't actually host them, but he provides an essential service that keeps them online.
0: So, Joel, and I think what's, I'm just. Um, Joel, I'm just. Okay, oh, go, go ahead. Is
3: is the context that the world has found itself in since um, January 6th, right? And what we, what what the U.S. Um, experienced then and the aftermath of it, um, as a little bit more attention was. Uh, uh, was paid to where infrastructure, internet infrastructure lies. And what we saw afterwards um, was that, you know, the AWSs of the world did a little bit closer look and basically kicked a lot of people off their products. So where Nick Lim fits into all of this is that he's basically a service provider of last resort and And so uh, William, just talk us more about like how Nick Lim became became that and why he why he feels that that's uh, important.
4: Yeah, I mean you were talking earlier that it's a story about technology and free speech, but it's also kind of a story about an island. Uh, Nick is someone who you know according to people I spoke to, is technically skilled. He is actually proficient in providing these services and has been doing it from a very young age actually but You know, to him, I I mean, he kind of summed up his ideology to me as if it's legal in the U.S., I don't care. Um, And, you know, at one point he told me when he uh, offered free services to Andrew England, who runs the white nationalist website Daily Stormer, uh, that raised his profile and made him famous. So, you know, Nick would care, profess to care about free speech and, and providing a platform to those who have been censored by big tech. And he would also say, you know, as long as it's legal, I don't care. Well, uh, And who are some of his clients? So, you know, the most important client of his, and, and one that he has actually a very close relationship with, is 8 which is the home of QAnon. Um, it's where QAnon posted, and, and, you know, the people who run that website are widely speculated to be Q. Um, and, and Nick even went to Japan with those people to celebrate the launch of the site. And, and Nick was integral to bringing this site back because... Cloudflare took the site offline after multiple mass shooters have posted their manifestos on, and they needed a replacement for Cloudflare. Enter Nick Lim. He's the one who kind of revives the site and is able to keep it online during, you know, the peak of QAnon. And and to this day.
0: So you know what's interesting too, William? I mean, there's so many aspects to this story that are fascinating and you just want to know more about this guy that's behind us, this 23-year-old. 23, 23 but at heart, he's an entrepreneur, right? Who just, it sounds like, wanted to start a business but at the same time, he's allowing these extremists who are getting kicked off, you know, the established programs uh, or platforms to continue to kind of go about their business.
4: Right, but, but I think... With Nick, that's kind of the whole point. I mean, he actively seeks out these clients and, you know, Nick tried to claim to us that he has actually thousands of clients, but in reality he has a small handful of clients and and they are these kind of fringe right-wing websites.
3: So well, William, you, you actually went to Washington, Vancouver, Washington, which is just outside my hometown of Portland, Oregon, uh, in the fall actually, so before all the events of January went down. Um, talk to us about what it was like to, to visit him.
4: So, you know, he, he actually, you know, he, he spent his time between there and Nevada where he lives or Arizona rather, where he lives in his mom's condo. But, but the, the Bonventech headquarters in Vancouver, uh, he rents out to some of his friends from high school. Um, you know, when I walked in, I looked on the table, I saw, you know, McDonald's spot uh, fries and, and uh, half smoked joints everywhere in the backyard, there's, weightlifting uh, equipment, a shed full of servers that are mining cryptocurrencies and like four bonds. Um, so, you know, they, they nicknamed the House of Amsterdam, um, <laughs> but, but it is also the registered headquarters of this company. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, I was sort of surprised, you know, I wasn't expecting much, um, but I was still kind of surprised at uh, just the, the, the semblance to a college dorm room. Um, and especially because Nick had initially told me that actually, you know, he has offices that sometimes uh, his employees go to. It turns out not, not true.
0: Wasn't it his grandparents' house, though, too?
4: That's right. According to state records I look at, the, the okay. house was, was gifted to him by his grandparents.
1: What was his upbringing like? Because he sort of has this image of, or portrayed, he conveyed this image of of growing up without money, but he was also posting photos of... Driving around in exotic luxury cars, there's like a lot of contradictions here.
4: Yes, uh, I mean completely. You know, Nick in our first interview told me that his kind of early entrepreneurial spirit came out of a necessity to support his family. I tried to talk to his family, I tried to talk to his parents, and some of his siblings. None of them got back to me. But you know, when I found Lynn's old YouTube channel, I found you know him driving around in his dad's white Lamborghini. Um, so it wasn't exactly a story of, of, as he told me, you know, creating these businesses in order to, quote, put food on the table. Uh,
3: so, William, like, let's spin this forward a little bit. Um, you know, there are, there are, you know, free speech rights in this country, and clearly Nick Lim has found a way to um, um, bask in them. Um, but what, what kind of ultimately could... How, how could this come down on him? Because, I mean, he is walking such... A, a, a delicate line here, and it just feels like someone is, you know, potentially in a position to, to you know, elbow him out yet.
4: Right. I mean, someone could, um, you know, someone a little bit more adept might come in and offer a similar service, but, you know, something I was actually surprised about, I mean, the people I did speak to said that, that Lin really did have technical skill and that he was good at doing this, and, you know, I found tweets from him as an early teen talking about uh, his, his interest in DDoS mitigation, for example. Um, you know, as far as liability, I don't really think Lim has any because he's not doing anything that's patently illegal, right? Um, you know, he's kind of just hosting sites that are themselves stretching the limits of the First Amendment. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think he's doing anything that would be kind of patently illegal.
0: I'm just thinking, though, for anybody listening, like, and how you wrap up your story, I mean, it's a business opportunity. When it comes down to it, you know, and he says, what you know, however you feel about free speech, I mean, this is an avenue where there's demand, uh, ultimately, William.
4: Absolutely. I mean, this sort of practice is never going to go away. There's always going to be someone that fills that gap. And that's kind of a thing that was interesting to me because we talk mm. a lot about social media censorship and deplatforming, But then you have the question, do you have a right to have a website even? Um, and, you know, the, the website's being kind of kicked off the Internet. It is extremely rare instance uh, compared to your Facebook account getting banned, right? Um, and there's always going to be someone like Nick
0: that can kind of fill that void, I think. i got to say, I love all the details around his background. Of course, I'm just going to say, of, of
1: course he has a crypto mining shed in his backyard. When I saw that yeah, detail, sure I was him. like, of course he
4: does.
0: Tim and I went all these different places about kind of like what happens next in his world, William.
4: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess as, as crypto prices continue to rise, that, yeah. that might be good for him. Uh, I, you know, I'm just I'm wondering if he'll leverage his skills into something that's kind of uh, yeah. You know, I don't
0: know, less patently harmful. Stay tuned, is what I'd like to say. William Turton, such good stuff. Cybersecurity reporting, yeah. uh, Bloomberg News. Joe Weber, editor of Bloomberg Business Week. This story, the cover story of the new issue of Business Week magazine. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Messer and Bloomberg Quick Takes, Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. All right, you are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Goldman uh, equity traders feel like a record quarter amid the Reddit mania. Who said those old guys don't know how to trade? Because <laughs> they certainly showed up uh, this quarter. JPMorgan Chase, their deal makers, uh, helped usher in the firm's best quarter. But uh, investors still concerned about loan demand. We heard Charlie talk about that. Wells Fargo beating profit estimates, though so, struggling on expenses. But that turnaround story, investors feeling pretty confident about what Charlie Scharf is doing over there. Wells Fargo, as Charlie mentioned, up more than 5%. And Anton Schutz is with us, back with us, President and Chief Investment Officer over at Menden Capital Advisors, back with us on the phone in Florida. Anton, good to have you here. Uh, got so much to talk to. How are you?
2: I'm uh, busy.
0: I know, right? I know. You can, I, I can only imagine. Well, let's go through the names. Goldman. Uh, investors seem pretty happy. Uh, this was all about, it seems like, trading for Goldman this quarter. What stood out for you? What do you think we all need to know as investors for Goldman?
5: I think what we need to know is the pipeline for the investment banking remains incredibly robust. And it's been really interesting, the controversy it's been caused about SPACs And You know, good or bad, uh, these companies have gone public, and they all have a ton of cash. And there's a two-year clock ticking on them to spend that cash. So that means if you're an investment banker, you're coming up for ideas to all those hundreds of stacks that have gone public. And if you close a deal and you get the advisory fee, you've made a bunch of money. So uh, every one of the investment banks is going to be very busy on the M&A front, uh, just on the SPACs alone, let alone all the rest of the economic
0: Even if some of the SPACs come undone and they just, I mean, you, are we? Are you so confident, uh, Anton, that they're going to all put that money to work in time?
5: They're going to try. Yeah. They're going to try. And that's the, that's the thing, right? I mean, maybe not all of them. I'm not talking about those investments. I'm just saying there's a pool of money out there that really wants to find a home and that will lead to advisory fees for firms like Goldman. You know, my, uh, my favorites are some smaller companies like a, like Cowan or a Jefferies. But, you know, they, they all help underwrite these things, and they all have relationships. And they'll be on either side of the transaction, right? It's not just the investment banking fee if you're uh, advising the SPAC. It's the investment banking fee if you're advising the seller. So there's lots of fees lots of, uh, to go around. And I think that the, the tax law changes, assuming there's changes in capital gains taxes, it's going to force companies to go, you know what? Maybe I should sell now while the capital gains tax is lower.
1: Are there I homes? Think that's
5: going to be a driver.
1: Are there homes for all that money, though?
5: Uh, well, there's a lot of private companies out there. right? It's not it's not just public companies that, that these SPACs have to buy. But it, there will be a feeding frenzy. And you're absolutely right in, in the skepticism that some of them will not be able to put that money to work. Right. Not or not. Mm-hmm. Not put to work in a feasible manner.
0: Let's talk J.P. Morgan, down 1.7%, but uh, I just want to pull up the year-to-date. It's up 19% so far this year, even with uh, today's pullback. Some concerns about loan demand. How do you see it for J.P. Morgan?
5: Well, you know, you, you've got a tail of a lot of different business lines here. So let's address the consumer side and the credit card. I mean, you know, we basically had the Fed and the Treasury pump something like 42% of GDP into the, into the economy. You know, consumers have just gotten their their $1,600 checks. If they've got a family, they've got multipliers of that. And so they've done lots of things, right? They've saved it. They've paid off their credit card debt. So uh, particularly on the credit card side, people pay down debt. And, um, you know, they'll eventually, you know, hopefully come back and spend it for the economy's sake as well as for the lenders that, that want to lend them the money. But that's that's a line of business that is just so much cash sloshing around that, People are actually paying with the cash for now.
0: So that means it's, um, so in other words, it didn't generate as much for JP Morgan as it has in the past?
5: Well, it wouldn't, yeah, right. I mean, because mm-hmm. the consumer is flush with cash. Yeah. You know, what do you use a credit card when you don't have the cash? And mm-hmm. and so those credit card outstandings will, will probably rise as the year goes on, unless there's more, more goodies for the consumers. Um, they'll eventually start spending their savings, which again, another problem for the big banks, well, all the banks, is the entire system is flush with deposits. So, uh, you know, people are looking at their margins going, Oh, my gosh, you know, but what are you gonna do with that money, all that money on deposit? What are you putting it into bonds? No, you'd rather lend it. That's what banks want to do. So it's a second half of the year story, I think for the entire industry, as people uh, work down the cash and start to borrow more money, I think earnings estimates are actually too low for the second half of the year for most of the industry.
1: So given that the quarter was so good, why are investors reacting this way?
5: <laughs> well, you know what, if you look at J.P. Morgan, it's beaten every quarter for the last three quarters pretty nicely, and it's been down every time. Hmm. Um, this I, was a I record that, first quarter. Yeah, oh, it was a record first quarter for, Oh well, yeah, J, J.P. Morgan, Goldman. I mean, you're, you're going to see, see that repeated. And, um, you know, I think it was a little bit of sell the news and it was a little bit of myopic, oh, my gosh, they may not have loan growth in the second half of the year. I mean, they've, they've told us they're going to buy $7.2 billion worth of their stock this quarter okay that's pretty good yeah um you know i i i don't think i, I can't i can't poke holes that quarter now the interesting thing and i i was you know talking to a lot of traders today about this financial traders and you know the banks get punished when they set aside excess reserves you recall last year i was having the same conversation going oh my gosh how terrible things are that they're setting these reserves aside so how can you punish them for setting them aside and then punish them again for going oh my gosh they're in earnings so they overearn because they release the reserves You know, punish them one way or the other, but that's not twice.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, what we need to understand, because J.P. Morgan did um, release, do a larger than expected reserve release, which added to the quarterly windfall. Uh, What do we need to understand about that? You just talked about it a little bit. (laughs) Hmm. Well,
5: I'm I'm not sure anybody wants to try to understand CECL, which is the accounting treaties uh, put in place (laughs) last year um but it's based upon a lot of assumptions and moody's is probably the number one forecaster they use on those assumptions so if moody changes its economic model that has to do with things like unemployment and stimulus um and gdp right i mean if you if you if you did this report last march you know it was oh my gosh right set aside a lot of reserves same thing in july now that report reads very differently oh you got to release those reserves it's, right. it's literally straight accounting.
0: That's a good point. In other words, there's nothing any tricky to it. Uh, and we, we're running out of time, Anton, but we really appreciate it. And we'll get you back real soon because I uh, always appreciate uh, your input. Your fund, by the way, your RMB Menden Financial Services Fund, it is up almost 32% uh, so far this year, putting it, at least according to Bloomberg data, in the 89th percentile. Anton, thank you so much. Anton Schutz, President and Chief Investment Officer of at Menden Capital Advisors, on the phone from Florida.
5: This is The Drive to the Close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn on Bloomberg Radio.
0: All right, just got about nine minutes left in the trading day. It is time for The Drive to the Close. And joining us today, once again, Alan Lance, Research Director of landsglobal.com, President of Alan B. Lands & Associates. He's on the phone from Toledo, Ohio. Alan, good to have you back with Tim and myself. How are you? And I feel like interesting market environment. You know, now that we start uh, earnings, how are you, or what are you focusing on? I guess I should ask.
6: Well, I, I think it's been a situation, Carol, where um, the rotation has been actually a positive. You know, we've seen a, a stall in in the fangs, and they've underperformed, and the intels and the ciscos of the world have have, have perked uh, up. And you know, you look at healthcare and tech. It's underperformed, and and you know, 2021, you you're getting you know strong uh, as far as momentum from energy, financials, and materials, and and they're picking up the slack, and I, I think that's a big positive. You know, you you've got you know the the hot IPOs of Palantir and Snowflake and him hers health down 50 percent from their highs. Even DraftKings is down from 74 to you know 59, and 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 I I think that that that's all bringing some rationality in the market. So it's not going to be all just value and cyclicals and at the expense of uh, uh, what used to lead the market, but it, it's going to be more of a valuation and, and, and in-depth analysis, uh, you know, that, that makes a difference. And, and that's right in our bailiwick.
1: Alan, how are you thinking about inflation and potentially hedging for, for higher taxes, rising interest rates?
6: Yeah, that's a big thing, Tim, that uh we we wrote about uh, in the last issue of the Lance letter and and I, I think uh, you know, we're gonna see higher interest rates, uh and and then um Obviously, higher taxes and then eventually in inflation. I think everybody really has to look at uh, getting some inflation hedges. Um, I would look at real assets. If you look at in the 70s, what happened, and I don't think it's going to be that bad. But once inflation starts rearing its ugly head, it's it's hard to uh, get rid of it. And, and I, I think it's a situation where you want to at least have uh, some of your assets in and, and actual Single-family homes and actual natural gas wells. Uh, you know, if you can't do that, then um, you know, um, do the next best thing. But you know, home builders have moved up, so we're not, you know, buying those. They're beyond our disciplined buy limits. But uh, actually owning the you know physical asset, I think, is going to be important. Uh, another gold has, has been just discarded here with the um, crypto craze and and. and um, I think it's a situation that um, you know buying a, a, Barrett Gold or or Newmont, um, you know nineteen twenty dollars for Barrett or or under sixty for Newmont, uh, have a good dividend and and I, I think that's a a nice hedge that's easy for investors to uh, uh, participate in.
0: See, and I think I I'm not sure if I heard you clearly, Alan. Coinbase was that anywhere in your buying list today?
6: Uh, well, I think Coinbase is is hot, you know, and and it, it it's a situation where it's on you know, sale.
0: It's down twelve percent from its opening price, so you can actually get a little bit of a bargain right now.
6: Yeah, yeah. No, it's not something we uh, bought. Um, it's it, it's something that uh, um, I was saying that rather than chasing these you know the bitcoin and you know 65,000 and coinbase uh you know that just kept on rising and rising before it finally uh you know came out um you know, we're long-term disciplined investors and I'd rather take uh that money and 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 buy some um, income producing gold mining silver mining type companies that are um uh, uh paying strong dividends and, and 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 doing well and being ignored so you did so know we're... i was
0: sarcastic right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope. yeah exactly so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well I, I look how how are you thinking about i don't want to call it froth i don't want to use any of these kind of tired terms but look we're seeing record after record we're seeing companies with direct listings with valuations of 100 billion dollars that are tied to cryptocurrency um, how are you thinking about the opportunities to, to put money to work when we are seeing people say that the T word top?
6: Yeah, I think you get a look at, the, you know, the going back to the basics and fundamental analysis and, and, and doing it the right way, uh, you know, it, and, and it's good that the SPACs have, you know, lost the logo of their craze. And, and uh, you know, we're seeing um, as far as the IPO's lessening and 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 that type of thing we were setting ourselves up for a bubble really if, if this would have continued so i think that the rotational correction we had talked about initially um you know is, is is very uh important to the long-term health of the market but we are definitely setting ourselves up even you know the the tailwinds now that are pushing the market higher, like uh, the stimulus and and um, as, as far as uh, the, uh, still low interest rates, I think, uh, you know, are, are definitely going to be uh, negatives down the road as interest rates uh, rise and, and as, uh, you know, the stimulus, uh, you, you get to a point where, you know, you got to do something with the deficits and nobody's talking about that.
0: So, hey, listen, uh, we are talking a lot about banks today. What are your thoughts on that? Any opportunities there? Any interest, whether it's in the big guys or maybe some of The regional players?
6: I really like banks. You know, start the year, I think that was one of our favorite sectors when we talked, uh, you know, as as far as a few months ago. Uh, But really, they've moved up, Carol, to a point where. You know, I I wouldn't uh, you know chase them. One of the only financials that is still within our buying territory, the high teens, low twenties, is rocket companies. I I think they've got a good technological advantage, and um, you can still participate because interest rates aren't going to soar, even though they they have edged higher. And that's one of the reasons the stock is is still at a bargain. But really, the companies we talked about you know, six months ago, like the Wells Fargo's and and uh, the like, uh, you know, have just gone to points where we're we'd be more li- likely to take profits in the strength here than, than buy them and chase them.
1: How concerned are you uh, about things getting too hot? We you talked a little bit about your your inflation picks, but I mean, are you concerned that we are going to start seeing real inflation? And we only have about 30 seconds left.
6: Yeah, I think I think we will see inflation. I mean, we're starting to see it already with you know food and and uh, you know and the, I think energy. That's one of the reasons. Natural gas is one of our our, our big plays, uh, you know, in, in that energy sector. And and I think that it's a situation where you definitely want to position now because uh, a year from now. It's it's going to be a, a hot topic, and you don't want to be chasing. You you want to be buying selectively and 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 getting uh, your portfolios positioned uh, appropriately now before uh, you know prices get. Out of out of hand on, on the inflation hedge right.
0: front. All right, we got to run. Hey, Alan, always good to check in with you. Be well, Alan Lance, director of research at Lance Global.
1: Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com.
0: And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.